This podcast is brought to you by the new book, The Heart of the Cross, by Dr. James Boyce and Dr. Philip Riken. Available now in a beautiful hardcover gift edition from PNR Publishing. Visit prpbooks.com and hear more at the conclusion of today's program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. You are listening to Mortification of Spin. My name is Todd Pruitt. I'm the pastor at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Carl Truman of Grove City College. Carl, uh, good to see you today. How's everything in Western Pennsylvania these days? Everything is great. In fact, I think we hit uh, 60 degrees today. So we're beginning to climb out mm. of winter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, things looking positive. And I am actually attending a dinner with Keith and Kristin Getty in just over an hour and a half's time, would you believe? About you. Wife is a huge fan, and I've yeah. delivered big time in, in, in going to a dinner with the Gettys. <laughs> now, our, what, what you ought to push for is that kind of have them maybe write a hymn for you. You ought, to, you ought to commission them to write a hymn and somehow work your name in it. That would be because, we, you know, well, we've had her on this program. We know that I am a character in a historical novel. That's right. Uh, the alcoholic so, priest in uh, The Girl Empress is based on me. That's outstanding. Well, if, if, we could get, if we could get Keith and Kristen to write a hymn that yeah. would somehow incorporate your name, and then when they record it, work some of your vocals in. It has been done. Uh, there, there is a rap record out there, of course, constructed yes. out of one of my lectures. And students at Grove got hold of it and I asked them what they thought. And I think the, the student said it was hideous was his actual word. Okay. Well, so things, things in your music career haven't started out well, but, but the Gettys might be able to turn that around. I, I'm resting, I think, is the official uh, term at the moment. My, my music <laughs> career is resting. So that you can spend but, more time with uh, your family. Yes. That's okay. it. That's, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. Yes. <laughs> Much to my wife's chagrin, I'm having to spend more time with her these yeah. days. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, that's good to hear. Okay, well, I'm, I'm excited for you. Um, with, with all of those island accents going on, I'm sure that you guys will be mostly incomprehensible to the Americans. Uh, my in wife will enjoy some fellow Celtic company. Yeah, evening. well, that's so, excellent. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, uh, Carl, we have a, uh, a guest that we've been looking forward to having on. Uh, ever since um, she... Uh, referred to me kind of indirectly as a major pastor, um, we've wanted uh, this particular person on because she clearly understands um, the sort of weight and responsibility that are on my shoulders um, to, to earn that sort of title. In fact, when her article came out that quoted several pastors, including me, and, and major pastors was in that article, I, I quickly texted a link to that article to all three of my children, insisting that they refer to me as major pastor from this point on. Now, they haven't taken me up yet, but we're, uh, we're working on it. Well, of course, our guest is Megan Basham. Uh, she is culture reporter at the Daily Wire. And uh, I, I will say this, 
we're hoping not to edit anything out uh, to avoid lawsuits, <laughs> but you never know. It could it could possibly happen. Megan, welcome to Mortification of Spin. Thanks for risking your reputation and being on with us today. Thank you for risking yours. I can tend to get people into some trouble, so I'm very grateful to be here. <laughs> well, I would like to say I've been on the receiving end of Megan a couple of times. So I, and, know, and I want to explore that a little cookie. bit. No, yeah. we don't want to explore that. <laughs> <laughs> but I have been bashed by Ms. Basham mm. a couple no, of times. No, yeah. no bashing. I don't believe it. Yeah, I don't believe it. But but that said, I mean, Carl does say and do some things periodically that, that do require um, uh, scrutiny. So I'm glad that at least someone was willing to do that. He's <laughs> a very now, suspicious character. Yeah, exactly. Now, Megan, you're a Christian journalist which uh, is kind of like being a Christian lawyer. You know, we wouldn't think that those things would go together, right? But uh, kind of a little bit about the world you inhabit in terms of your training and your vocation in journalism and the intersection of that and the fact that you are a believer. What's that like? How, do, how does a Christian approach the task of journalism in these days? Well, you know, it's funny that people tend to look at it that way. And yet for me, it just seems so obviously biblical. I mean, we just have so many examples, um, whether it's Luke writing the Gospels to say, you know, here is a very accurate account mm -hmm. so that you may know that these things are true. Or the watchers on the wall who sort of herald with the trumpets that, you know, something good is not coming. Something bad is happening in the city. I, there's just all kinds of examples uh, of that to me. So it's funny that it is kind of perceived as sort of this, um, let's just say, rather dicey business of being a, a Christian journalist. And I think a lot of that comes from people sort of feeling like turning over rocks is unsavory in some way. Right. And, and and I would sort of dispel that notion. I yeah. would say, actually, it's very necessary, mm -hmm. uh, not just uh, in a political sense. I mean, there's the famous quote of Thomas Jefferson saying, if I could have a government without newspapers or newspapers without a government, he would choose the latter. Yeah. And I, I look at the church and I kind of think the same thing. I go, if you don't bring the disinfectant of light to some of these situations, a lot of corruption can build up. And sure. we see that throughout history. Mm -hmm. So yeah. in a lot of ways, that's really, you know, my role. I don't intend for it to be overly negative, but at the same time, um, I feel like maybe part of the reaction to some of the reporting that I've done has been the fact that it was approached as mainstream traditional right. journalism, which is specific and names names yeah. and gets down into details. And I think a lot of Christian journalism tends to be very nice and promotional. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of took people aback a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's really how I see my role. And that's kind of what I've been doing here for the last yeah. few months since joining the Daily Wire. Yeah. And if if journalism is telling the truth, if journalism is observing events and reporting those facts and even if they're unpleasant, then there shouldn't be any um, uh, a tension, as it were, between being a Christian and, and serving in a vocation. That's that that's aim is to report things that are true, to re to inform people in in a truthful way. Seems like that that there ought to be a uh, a, a very fine harmony there. Yeah, you know, and I love to point people to some of the more descriptive passages of the Bible. Um, I'm not a pastor, so I won't be able to you know quote chapter and verse, but I know there's moments in the old testament that are really specific you know someone stabs someone and his arm goes in up to the belly and fat and you go wow that was really specific almost novelistic in its detail so very unpleasant um, yeah 
It is. And so I go, gosh, you know, I mean, in a lot of ways, we look at scripture and go, it's pretty journalistic. It doesn't just tell us the nice, good things. It doesn't even always just give us the broad outlines of the wrong mm-hmm. done. It often gets very uh, down and dirty into the details yeah. of who did what, when. Yeah, the scriptures are very earthy in that way. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you look at the broad state of journalism in the United States, uh, what's your opinion of it at this particular point in time, Megan? What are its strengths and its weaknesses? Man, I, I have to be honest, finding strengths right now is kind of a challenge. I, you know, I, I look at the landscape and it feels like we're just in a pretty terrible place journalistically. Um, we've gone from a time where the idea was to question power, was to look for corruption, was to represent the interests of the people. And now I don't think you can come out of COVID and say that that is at all what the majority of journalists are doing these days, particularly those who are well-known, who you watch on television. We now seem to have entered an era where journalists think their position is to check the public and to represent the interests and narratives of the government, of the powerful, to the people. And uh, and as I've done some reporting, we, we've seen that in Christian journalism too. And that is fairly concerning to me that we've sort of flipped that on its head, that now people are in the journalistic world are acting as the misinformation police instead of saying, well, now hang on a minute. Let's let before we start enforcing narratives, maybe we should first look into what could possibly be true about some of these unapproved narratives. And that's, that's just not where we are today. It's really interesting. I I do a lot of sermon prep in a couple of local coffee shops, one in particular, and, and a guy that I've struck up a friendship with, and we end up sitting at the same table. Oftentimes he's working on a book. He's a professor at university of Virginia in Charlottesville, which is about 50 minutes away, but he lives in the community I live in. And he's a Marxist committed man of the left, a Marxist, and of course an atheist. Um, but we, we like each other. We, we have a good time making fun <laughs> of each other's beliefs and, and that kind of thing. And, but, but he, he said something, he said a number of things really, really interesting to me in, in terms of his frustration with American journalism. And one of the things he, he has said to me, and this is interesting coming from a, a committed man of the left, he has said that American journalism now has become an organ for the establishment and for the elites, that it basically mm. operates as PR for the establishment, where it used to be that journalists were there to question what the establishment mm. said, to challenge what the establishment, to look into it, to doubt it. Now, mainstream media journalism says don't you dare doubt right. what our leaders are saying yeah. don't you and, and and if you do doubt we might we might call for a dod investigation on you which is right. now happening against Tulsi <laughs> gabbard you know it, it is remarkable how that has changed just in the last 30 years or so well and it's really strange i mean i i was actually tweeting about this today that i was reading a passage um, of an interview with xi jinping and he said something to the effect of the the role, I'm not going to quote this verbatim, but the, the role of journalists is to be promoters of the social good, to, to promote equality and justice. And I went, man, that's not the role of journalists. Nope. But even in the U.S. now, they're not that's enforcing they're the media of the state, but that's what they think our role is today. Exactly. And um, and that's pretty disturbing. You go, we, we don't need a communist dictator. We're all, you know, just our profession is falling in line without it. Right. right. And, and lest people think that we're being, you know, conspiratorial here, there doesn't need to be a conspiracy. When, when 98 percent of journalists believe the same thing, they don't have to meet in the back room. They don't have to draw up a strategy. 
because they already believe the same thing. Um, of course, when the vast majority of them have the same politics, the same worldview, that's going to show in their in their approach to, to journalism. And right now, um, the people they vote for and support and believe in are the establishment. So therefore, to attack the establishment, you know, you're going to be um, you're going to find that the, the journalistic big guns pointed at you at that point. There's an interesting parallel, I think, with satirical comedy in that mm. when I was growing up, certainly in Britain in the 80s, uh, I loved the satire that was on the, the TV. Sometimes my mum wouldn't let me watch it because it was too subversive. It, it was, it was yeah. subversive comedy. Now, uh, on the odd occasion, I see a Saturday Night Live sketch. It's actually about affirming the establishment, mm. not critiquing. The yeah. And the laughter is not the laughter of people being made uneasy about realizing their position itself might be in some sense ridiculous. It's the sort of laughter of affirming themselves right. in their righteousness. And Mocking the deplorables. Like, yeah, we're, right. we're seeing something in, in culture in general or cultural elites in general emerging that you're describing there, Megan, in, specifically in journalism, but it's not restricted to journalism at all. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. And, and it's not, a, I, I don't believe it's a conspiratorial thing, but I, I think people don't quite understand the, um, the social pressure there and you want to mm -hmm. be at the cool kids table and yeah, yeah and you, you, you don't want to be called a lunatic if you stand back and go, well, now hang on a minute. That lab leak thing doesn't seem so wild to me. I mean, there is yeah. a, you know, a lab in Wuhan that investigates <laughs> novel coronaviruses. Yeah. Maybe we should just wait a minute uh -huh. before we decree that um, a whole swath of people are tinfoil hat wearers. That's right. but yeah. That's, that's, right. yeah, that's not what journalists are doing these days. Right. I was going to say, it's a little bit like vaccines in that I'm fully vaccinated, boosted, whatever, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But we all know that medical establishments lie. To object to the vaccine does not put you in the same league as a flat earther. Right. There are rational reasons for disagreeing on something like that. And uh, this is a slight change of subject, but only slight, I think. I get very disturbed by certain members of the, the evangelical leadership class who clearly will never speak out on issues that would prevent them from getting a gig and interview at the New York Times. I referred right. to it recently in First Things as, you know, speaking the truth to those without power. That's yes. what they do. Yeah. They will typically uh, protect, present themselves as very courageous by beating up on people who have no power whatsoever. You know, Florida is going through agonies over the, the bill about teaching homosexuality to very young children. You don't get a squeak from the leadership class about that. You don't get a squeak. They're all busy carrying water for poor old Francis Collins. You know? <laughs> That's sort of how it's, how it's playing right. out. And that worries me as well, because what we're describing in the general culture seems to be alive and well among those who would uh, aspire to lead us as conservative Protestants. And, 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 I, and I want Megan to follow up on that. But I mean, just with what you just said, Carl, with that bill in Florida, which makes a whole lot of sense to the vast majority of Americans when Bill Maher says it's good yeah, and says, you know, maybe we shouldn't be teaching these little children about sex like that. Yeah. Mm. But some of the very people that you were referring to, some of the very people that Megan has written about don't say a word about it when Bill Maher says, yeah. you know, maybe we shouldn't be doing this with our young kids. That speaks volumes. Mm. Now, Megan, 
you, you wrote just recently a piece that made really made the rounds. I cannot, <laughs> I, where, where you took on and Carl and I were thrilled. You, you basically grabbed the third rail, so to speak, you named names of certain evangelical elites, very well known that you're not allowed to criticize <laughs> Russell Moore, <laughs> Tim Keller, yeah. um, uh, David French, etc., um, for their vocal support over the years of Francis Collins. And in this mm -hmm. rather extensive article you wrote with lots of research and lots of references, you just get real clear about what Francis Collins record has been at the NIH. And it does not reflect a distinctively Christian ethic. Right. And yet, as these things have become public, we are wondering if those enthusiastic repeated endorsements from well-known Christian pastors about the fact that Francis Collins is the perfect example of a Christian in a place of influence, we're wondering when those are going to be retracted. I wonder if you could just uh, bring our audience up to speed on what you were referring to there. So, you know, it's funny that you say that because one of the things that sort of struck me as the article made the rounds was how many people said, wow, what a, what a great example of investigative journalism. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of went, well, it wasn't really. <laughs> I mean, I didn't have to put in FOIA requests to get right. this information. It's all I there, isn't it? Yeah, there was no, you know, deep throat Washington Post right. call about, you know, who was at what hotel. And it, it was really just all littered all over the internet. It was just a matter of collating it all. Yeah. Um, so I think that was the first key to me that I went, man, there is so little check imbalance in this particular subculture that it was all just sort of there, littered all mm -hmm. over the internet. Um, so, and then when you put it together, you went, Francis Collins has not been who was formerly the head of the National Institutes of Health. And now he is, he was appointed last month as Biden's interim top science advisor. So he's still very much in the administration. He's still very influential. And um, you look at his record and you go, there is nothing there that would bar him from being Biden's top science advisor. And, you know, since that time, there, there have been no direct answers. So since I pointed out that Francis Collins um, declares himself an LGBT ally, since I pointed out that he uh, really led and launched the initiative into a lot of trans research, including funding trans research on children that gave them opposites, uh, opposite sex hormones, mastectomies to young girls, since yeah, he directed record level funding to fetal tissue research on yeah. organs derived from abortion. You know, since we went through all of that, there has been no direct response. So the only sort of person who directly said, well, you know, let me put out a little bit of defense of that was the conservative talk show host, Eric Erickson, who I like. I like Eric. Um, we're friendly. But his defense was, I talked to them privately. I'm not going to tell you specifically who I talked to, but these are good guys, which was the same defense that Moore, Keller, Stetzer, Warren right. offered of Collins was, hey, trust us. We know him. He's a good guy. Yeah. Well, you know, since we kind of went through the record and I put out this story, none of them have responded right. to me. And I've reached out yeah. to several of them multiple times. Um, and just last week, I'll plug another article. Um, a, a source gave me a recording of an event at the University of Chicago with Russell Moore and Francis Collins. They 
apparently understood it was um, not recorded, but someone in the audience was recording Mm -hmm. and passed that along to me. And, you know, in that tape, it was very much a doubling down of mocking the deplorables, as you said, mocking the people who didn't want to get the vaccine, Mm -hmm. doubling down on defending research derived from abortion All of that uh, doubling uh, and really and some things that were sort of surprising. You don't have to be a Trumpist to have an issue with the nation's chief science advisor saying that Trump was responsible for hundreds of thousands of COVID deaths. It's just not true. Right. And so you look at all of that and, you know, I went and I tried to speak to them about it. None of them will talk to me. But what they tend to do is what you might call subtweet, whether it's uh, in a Tim Keller did that the other day. Tim Keller did that the other day. And if I say, gee, is this a response to me? I get a lot of, well, aren't you very arrogant and full of yourself that you think this is a response to you? And I go, well, what is it then? What are you talking about? Because it's never very specific. Um, And Russell Moore kind of did the same thing last weekend. He gave a message that was about um, disingenuous, pharisaical questioners and how you don't have to answer them. And I went, is that me? Am I the disingenuous, pharisaical questioner? And, uh, and I kind of wanted to reply back that, well, you know, Jesus did actually answer the Pharisees. <laughs> he yeah. didn't just ignore them. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, he gave them some really great answers, in fact. So um, I, I would love to hear the response to this stuff. So, you know, at this point, I haven't gotten a response. As I said, I've just kind of gotten these oblique subtweets. And um, I, it's really hard to know what to do with those other than then to just continue reporting the story. Yeah. Uh, which is what I've been doing and will yep. probably continue to do. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that recording to me blew the cover, not just for what mm. they said, but the way they said it. Right. Yeah, the condescension towards those who disagree with them is is despicable. And Collins, I mean, Moore's not an academic. Russell Moore right. is not an academic. Whatever the reputation, he's not an academic. Francis Collins is. Mm-hmm. Francis Collins knows how to behave as an academic. And it was shocking to me to see the mockery and condescension uh, yeah. directed towards those who, who disagree with him. And he's also, of course, he's a public official. Mm. Uh, he's caring yeah. for the nation. Yeah. It just reminded me, as I was, I was talking to my friend Fran Mayer last night, Fran is a good friend from the EPPC and uh, uh, First Things. And Fran was making the comment about how increasingly the elites regard everybody else colonies they're not Mm. really america they're not really americans they're not really worth uh thinking about or engaging with any depth and it just struck me as very sad that here we have christian leaders uh who presumably have read first corinthians chapter one that not many of the great not many of the powerful etc etc uh and yet for whom that teaching clearly means nothing whatsoever I've really lost patience with these guys over the last 12 months. Were the bad faith actors in the Southern Baptist Convention? Are there some very nasty Trump people out there? Absolutely. But these other guys can give as good as they get. They're, oh, yeah. simply, the, they're simply the mirror image on the other side. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that they will not call out some of the most despicable things. And what you, you mentioned there about the trans research, I, I, I've got a piece coming out in First Things this week. We need to call this what it is. It is 200 years from now, we looked upon as the most significant and egregious back, government-backed mass sterilization, mutilation, mm. and abuse yeah. of children program that the West has ever seen. Right. 
but our evangelical leaders will not speak out about it. I've been writing about this for years. Mm-hmm. Right. None of these guys speak out about it. None of them. They'll, some of them will pat you on the back in private and say, I'm glad you're speaking up. None of them will speak out themselves because they're terrified that people like David Brooks right. don't want to right. interview them anymore because they're not nice and polite Manhattan cocktail party people. Right. You're not a savior of talking. evangelicalism if you do Yes, that. exactly. <laughs> One day I'll tell you what I really think about them. (laughs) (laughs) There are kids involved here. That's what gets me. This is now damaging children. And if you can't speak up for children, you are not worthy of any kind of leadership position Mm -hmm. in the evangelical world whatsoever. Right. Well, and what was sort of surprising to me was just how many, um, not at, let's say that very top tier, but the people just under them in the Southern Baptist Convention kind of didn't get why is this a problem Uh, so what so they had this federal official and he made the rounds onto all of these christian outlets and platforms and it was a little frustrating going look it all of the things aside marrying the state to the church in that way should ring some alarm bells and it was really surprising to me how many people i had to explain that to that i went look just the fact that you know they are putting him in the position of telling christians here's what you have to do and uh, you need to be obedient to the government, which yeah. we do obey the authorities, yeah. but that you, you don't necessarily invite Caesar to the pulpit to, to tell your church to obey right. authorities. No. Right. And, and, you, and no. you don't necessarily invite Caesar into the examination room with your doctor either. Yeah. Right. And what's interesting might, is that you might actually describe it as a sort of progressive form of Christian nationalism. Well, you see, might. Very, very might. <laughs> exactly. And that's, that was exactly the point I was going to make is that you have Russell Moore and David French, who on the one hand decry the, the mixture of politics and religion, which I do too, but they have a brand of it that they actually like, you know, and, right. and we've seen this with, with Russell Moore and these others and their partnership with a high government official to pass on to churches and urge pastors to pass along a message from the government. But, but they'll turn around and anathematize a conservative pastor for endorsing donald trump from the pulpit which which i will never do i will never do but but they're they're doing the same thing but their brand of doing it is okay yeah and so that that was kind of um the rub i guess as i was doing the reporting going okay well uh, here's what i feel like is that so much of the coverage from christians whether it's christianity today or the gospel coalition or some you know good publications but they never ever take aim at these guys and so when the Daily Wire stepped in, it was surprising to me how much of that territory was left open. And so I started getting all of these letters from people going, thank you so much for covering this. Thank you so much for finally saying something. And it was shocking to me that I went, why, with all of these Christian publications out there, was this field so wide open for a secular conservative outlet to come in and cover it? Because none of them were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ben Shapiro is carrying. Yeah, carrying, carrying water that Christianity water. today, at least, yeah, ought to be yeah, carrying. Yeah, yeah. Well, Megan, it's been it's been great to to have you on. I think my personal opinion is the next five years are going to be absolutely decisive. Hmm. And you know, to borrow a phrase from from Reverend Martin Luther King, the silence of our friends is going to be the most eloquent thing that happens Mm. in the next five years. I think Mm. the next five years, we're going to see major realignments occurring within uh, Protestantism, within Christianity in general in the West, and specifically in the United States. 
And we're going to really see how many of our leadership class are willing to go into the wilderness and how mm. many of them are so fond of their fancy seats at the theater, their Manhattan cocktail parties, et cetera, that they will crumble, that they will mm. fold like cheap suits in, fa- in, in, in the face of what's coming. So, Megan, it's great that we have voices like yours speaking out on these issues. I appreciate your uh, tenacity. I've been on the receiving end of it. <laughs> And I appreciate it. Thank I, you. I appreciate it uh, very much. So it's great to have you. We will pray that you will continue to remain faithful and forthright in your investigating uh, of uh, high crimes and misdemeanors in evangelical <laughs> places uh, and uh, clear and pungent in your writing. So thank you very much for uh, being with us on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me, even after some of those uh, tough interviews, and they weren't that tough. You were great, Carl. I enjoyed it. I, yeah, I. It's like when I hang out with my Catholic friends. I don't want people to pretend to be something they're not. I like people of conviction, even mm. when I find myself on occasion on the other side from them. The problem with our evangelical leadership class at the moment is I have a horrible suspicion. There is no core of conviction there. There is no mm-hmm. core of conviction. And that yeah, worries That's a scary place to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, thanks for coming on, Megan. Uh, to our listeners, please visit our website, mortificationofspin.org. Uh, you'll find other materials uh, uh, there that hopefully will be of help to you. If while you're visiting our website, the, the spirit leads you to make a denomination, do not quench the spirit. Make a little, you know, uh, 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 I say denomination. Denomination, but it should be donation. Uh, multiple denominations <laughs> <the> of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's the PCA that are going to be making new denominations <laughs> right. in the next year. We just need donations, so please make a donation to enable us to, uh, to stay on the air. Uh, in the meantime, again, just want to thank Megan for being on. Thanks, Todd, for being uh, uh, my co-host. And sure. we look forward to being with you next. Running like a final machine, as always. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. You know, for me, this is very personal because now um, I have insisted on every person on the staff that works at the church where I'm pastor, they now refer to me as major pastor Todd Pruitt. And so <laughs> that has that has opened up doors for me that I'm very... I respected Megan as journalist up until that point. That was, <laughs> right. <laughs> a, line, a line was crossed. It gave me a lot of... Ple- I mean, I, I, I texted to my three children, which gave me tremendous pleasure. And I just said, your dad is now officially formal. A major pastor. A major pastor. Thank you very much. Well-
I'm glad because sometimes you quote these things and you don't know how people will take you're like, look, it's out publicly, so I can quote it, but someone might go, Oh, I didn't really mean for you to use that. Oh. Right. So. I, I said it on a podcast. It is yeah. I, I, my assumption is that typically I'm always being recorded now. And so therefore I need yeah. to own everything I say. So, <laughs> yeah, including things you recently had to repent. of. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Discover the power of the gospel in the new book, The Heart of the Cross from PNR Publishing. In 21 brief readings, pastor theologians James Montgomery Boyce and Philip Graham Ryken expound the Bible's teaching about the cross, from Jesus' words during the crucifixion to his words after the resurrection, to the vital teaching on the cross and the rest of the New Testament. The authors meet the troubled, skeptical, and restless in these pages, and with insights both simple and profound, draw each one of us to Christ. This beautiful hardcover gift book is available now wherever Christian books are sold. PNR Publishing, Reformed Theology for Real Life. Visit prpbooks.com to learn more.